Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. We're all living in a new normal. While that phrase has become a COVID cliche, we're all adapting to new ways of doing anything. Companies large and small are pivoting to adjust to their surroundings, and today's guest is helping them do it. I'm talking about a good friend and a new podcaster coming on the C-Suite Radio. It's Bill Sanders. He's the principal and senior consultant at Roebling Strauss. We're going to ask him, what does Roebling Strauss stand for? That would be the first question. In normal times, he helps companies going through transactions transitions to align people, processes, and platforms. And now he's looking at how COVID-19 pandemic is changing business and the way we work. Bill, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Jeff, thank you for the invite. It's a pleasure to be here. All right. First of all, all right. Normally people name their company after themselves. Like I got the Hazlett company. I used to have, when I started, it was Hazlett and Associates. Someone said, who's your associates? I said, I don't know. I don't have any yet, but I'm going to get them. You know, and yours is Roebling Strauss. Why is it Roebling Strauss? That's a good question, Jeff. Thanks for asking. I don't have much about that out there on the interweb. So uh, I was about four or five times in the nineties, people would make a comment to me about you you really are a bridge builder like you really both relationally and 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 bridging problems and that sort of thing and so i thought well you know i've got a a partial engineering background from electrical engineering and then finished in uh, computer information systems but maybe i better start reading up on some things about bridges and kind of see what they think they're saying to me so um started with the great bridge on the Brooklyn Bridge, and I found a couple of heroes, and it's the uh, the chief architects of the Brooklyn Bridge and the Golden Gate Bridge uh, were both people that, or individuals that put people ahead of profits. Yeah. Uh, on the Roebling side, when they were just beginning to find out what, uh, the, they call it caissons diseases, they were driving the caissons down to the bedrock, yep. and they were bringing people up too fast, and they were basically getting the bids. And nobody yeah. knew what it was. And he flew doctors in from all over. He'd go up several times a day himself. He basically put himself in bed for the rest of his life. Uh, for certainly a couple of years, he was bedridden while he uh, finished the bridge by giving instructions to his wife, who was basically the general contractor. And on the Strauss <laughs> side, uh, he's the first one to hang uh, safety netting. Uh, it's a great movie called Halfway to Hell Club. And it's the 19 men that were saved on that bridge long before OSHA or anybody said you have to do this. Uh, he said just losing lives is not, does not have to be the cost of doing business. That's the way, that's the kind of leaders we like. We, of course, call that the hero factor, putting people above exactly. profits. That's a really good thing for people to do. Hey, let's talk a little bit if we can. I say that days have become weeks, weeks have become months. Um, you know, months have become years during this pandemic. What trends have you seen to accelerate this over the last few, uh, last six months or so? Well, um, I've kind of always referred to a couple of things. I think in advertising and consulting in particular, uh, I kind of call them dog years because you see so many businesses <laughs> and you see so many, you get about seven years experience in one. And I think that's now extended out into almost every business with COVID. Right. We have this kind of exponential convergence of all these technologies mashing together, all the sociological change. And what's happening is uh, businesses are starting to see the gaps between what they think they do and what their customers think they do. 
Mm. Well, you know, because we think, you know, we know the answers, we have it, but we really don't get to the customer's wants and needs, right? Yeah. And they're changing so fast. Yeah. If you don't have a system to stay in touch with those customer wants and needs, then you may think you're delivering and it could have been exactly what they wanted three months ago. So what are you implementing then with customers to do that, to make sure that you know what the heck they, they want and you're giving them what they want and or what they need too? Yeah. Well, right now we're doing a couple of business model pivots and some new service initiatives. And we always start with critical alignment and that begins with the customer experience. So if they don't have a way to, to get that, we put together advisory boards, we put together uh, tools for them uh, internally so that the people on the front line that are closest to the customers are the ones that are have a path to feed that information back to the whole organization. So you you work a lot with M&A. I know you come in with a lot of companies either pre-sale or a lot of them post-sale. Which and by the way, which is it? More pre-sale or most po- more post-sale? More post-sale? Uh, yeah. but it's kind of like the whole thing with, you know, when when companies first call me, they they call me usually because they have a strategic initiative or uh, a merger that's not getting the traction that they want it to have. And so they've got something that they that's in there that they can't figure out. Uh, the next time they call me, they call me because uh, they know that bringing someone in from outside that kind of has a dispassionate view overall and can really ask key questions and uncover those unspoken assumptions and challenge some of those mindsets that may have been a little calcified in the organization will help them move faster. Yeah, and most I, I think most companies, unless you've done this a great deal, unless you've, you know, I bought and sold over 250 companies. I know what it's like. I'm working with, you know, multi-billion dollar deals right now. I got five of them I'm, I'm in the middle of. You know, I and I watch them break down just because of the simplest communication issues, yeah. the simplest egos, the simplest problems. It's never, it's never the real deal. It's the people. You know, that's one. And then the second thing is they always think it's going to be a straight line. We're going to do, I, I want this. We're going to go here. This is what we're going to do. And it's a straight line. I've never seen it be a straight line. Is, is that what you continue to see? Oh, absolutely. It's one of the key principles that we use. Uh, we've got the quote. Mike Tyson said it more in the vernacular, which is everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the mouth. <laughs> right? but it's yeah. actually a quote from a Prussian general. Uh, Moki the Elder said, no battle plan lasts past first contact with the enemy's main force. Yeah, the first shot. So it doesn't matter what your strategy is. It doesn't matter how well you plan it. And it doesn't matter how much accountability you have in the execution of it. The minute you start engaging with a rapidly changing world, you have to have the systems that communicate and flex and allow for adaptable execution. Yeah, I'm planning a press conference next week for the mayor of uh, Gary, Indiana, that I'm going to be at and emceeing and, and being a part of and part of a new announcement and also the governor of Indiana. And the team is telling me that we're going to do this, 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 and this. And I said, no, we're not. It's going to be a it's going to be a shit show the day I show up there. It's not going to go right. So, I, you know, I told him, I said, and I, here's what I want. I want. I want this. I want this equipment. I want this equipment. I want a web camera. I want a backup with this. I want this. I want this. And I want duct tape. And they said, what do you want duct tape? Trust me, we're going to need duct tape. Gonna need duct tape. <laughs> we're always going to need duct And I want black duct tape. That's what I told them. Because, yeah, you know, right. it's kind of like being a star. You got to ask for green M&Ms. I asked for a black duct tape. Yeah. You know, there Black you or red, in case you want it to be seen. Yeah, there you go. Well, most of the time I want to be subdued. Let me ask you. 
with with the, with all the work that you're doing with M&A, do you think we're going to see a lot more mergers because of COVID? I think we are. Uh, I think you're going to see two uh, kinds of mergers going forth. I think you're going to see things happening probably starting Q4, uh, if not already underway, where weak businesses are going to be snapped up because they need it. They need a lifeline. Yeah. So they're not going to be fire sale. Going to be a, is there going to be a fire sale? Going to yeah. be a fire sale. Right. So some yeah. of these places, in fact, I just talked to somebody else uh, a couple of weeks ago. They just paid a dollar and took over a new business with 15 people in it yeah. just to keep those jobs alive. Yeah, that's going to be a uh, that's going to be a tough thing, don't you think? Because people are going to have to swallow a lot of pride. You're going to swallow it. By the way, it's nothing to do with them. Nope. Let's be clear. You know, if this happens to you and your business, it's nothing to do with you. Now, for some businesses, their their value has risen. For a lot of businesses, their value is gone. It's gone. You know, and I would love to be able to say, you know, you know, oh, we can make it good, and you could stick to these valuations, stick to these things. Man, just be glad somebody's offering you some cash or keeping the jobs, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think, you know, conscientious business owners know that if they if it looks like yeah. they're going to fold, I mean. I rarely talk to someone whose biggest concern as a business owner is not making payroll and keeping everybody employed and growing the business. Yeah. Right? That's what keeps them up at night. Well, speak, well, speaking of that, I got to keep my job. I got to keep my business. Let me take a quick break. We'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, everyone. We're back and we're live casting right here on LinkedIn and Facebook as I bring you all business with Jeffrey Hazlett from C-Suite Radio. I'm talking with Bill Sanders, a good friend of mine. He's a principal and senior consultant, Robling Strauss. He's helping businesses come together and make it through COVID and deal with the pandemic and deal with mergers and acquisitions and putting cultures together. That's a big part of what he does. But wouldn't you really say that most of what you're doing is really project management? Um. To a degree, I would say most of what I'm doing, though, is alignment. Mm. Right? Project management kind of has a, a, a centralized role of planning and then comms. And we actually take it all the way from the strategy development itself through the planning, the execution, and the implementation. Yeah. So you know, we, one of the things I decided uh, was one of the co-founders of ROCG Maher in San Francisco when we launched uh, that consulting operation, about 43 offices worldwide at the time. And one of the things I determined after going through some uh, traditional consulting training and everything is I'm never going to produce a binder for a client. Never going to produce a what? A binder. A binder, three ring binder? Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah, do binders. Cool. I don't do yeah. PowerPoints. Yeah. Uh, if we use tools, we use tools they're going to use every day that help keep them aligned. And our entire process is very simple. It's, it's getting critical alignment around the purpose, the objectives, the measurements, and the risk, how we're going to communicate and how we're ex- going to execute, whether that's internally, externally, in partnership with an outside organization. Then we set down explicit agreement, which is who is doing what for whom by when. And then we track that so everybody, top to bottom, cross-functional, can see who's keeping their word and who's doing what they said they do. And then we just bleed the whole thing through with uh, being able to actively execute that and change that plan all throughout. Yeah. You know, most things break down because we don't know why. 
or what's the purpose? It's what those understanding the promises back and forth between the company. I mean, I see a great deal of that. When you're working with a company that's gone through a merger, what's the number one issue that you see? Uh, the number one issue that I see is they don't ask for enough post-merger. All the creative thoughts put up up front, got all the numbers and all the legal stuff gets done before everybody can know anything about it or the announcement or the sale closes. Totally expected. Legally, you have to do that. But then that team, that corp dev team typically goes on to the next project that they have and they leave the integration to the staff. Yeah. Right. And there's no one setting in compliance in there. There's no one sitting there that says, okay, this was our deal thesis. Right. And then, from yeah, outside, you know, yeah, because most teams, I'm thinking about a lot of that. Um, they just, the, the merger acquisition team or the team that goes and buy the deal team, they just do it, get the deal done, and then they throw it over the wall. Yeah. And there's not, there's not a great, uh, most people would think, well, there's a lot of handoffs. No, there's not. There's not. No. Well, I, I read an essay in the 90s, and I think this probably just like stuck in my mind. I said, this is, this is something I totally believe. He said, any successful technology company has three people in it. It's got an engineer and you have to understand how they think they want everything perfect. They want every jot and tittle of code there and they want to build that out and they want to be known for doing something great. On the other end, you got to have a salesman and you got to understand how they think and all they want to do is hunt. They want to get the deal. They'll sell vaporware and yeah. you have to have someone in the middle that keeps them both honest about yeah. what is doable by when. And that's well, and that you have to do it and you have to do it. Absolutely. Because a lot of engineers will wait until it's perfect, right? Yeah. And, you know, a, a lot of sales on the other side will just say, just it's an I sell the idea, and you've got to do it between the two to, to make it real. For sure. I like that. So then when you follow but, up, you know, when you, you got to realize that, you know, you've made all this set of assumptions and on, based on the numbers and the spreadsheets when you're doing the pre-deal work. Yeah. And all these assumptions are not documented usually. Boom. Now we've got the entire, both companies, everybody knows it. And all those assumptions need to be relooked at because there's new information that you're going to be able to get there. And if you don't have a process for, for elevating that and surfacing it, you can't make the key decisions in that integration very well. Yeah. What's the most common mistakes you've seen in mergers? Uh, thinking that if we just throw the platforms together, we're good. Not really looking at the underlying business models and, yeah. and not, not really shifting to a mindset, especially in strategic ones, about what I call post-merger innovation. I mean, you just paid good money and put a big bet on a group of people that are obviously doing well enough you want to buy them. Why wouldn't you do everything you could to bring them in and help innovate, not just what they're doing, but what you're doing as well? Well, innovate and assimilate. Not, not, not over, you know, cause typically the mergers are, you know, I've been in those mergers before and they'll say, well, we're going to keep our culture. I'll know you're not, <laughs> your culture just become part of our culture. You don't, you, you, let's, let's, you know, now you're part of the big mothership and that's just the way it works. And so we should get used to that part. Let's don't fight that, but let's preserve what we can. Let's preserve the key parts of the things and the reasons why we bought you. Let's don't, you know, don't worry about, I mean, I had arguments with the CEO of the company that we bought and the CMO of the company that we bought, and I was in charge of these things. And I said, nope, your email is going to be Kodak tomorrow. And they go, no, 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 no. We, we, we negotiate that. I don't care if you negotiate or not. Tomorrow, your email is going to be that. 
And I've already made arrangements for all your emails to be forwarded into the new accounts. And this is your new email. So regardless, that, that'll be around for the next six months. But until then, you're and then you got this Kodak email. Oh, and your phone greeting's gonna be changed, your name's gonna be changed, and I've already had this recorded for you, so get this done. You know, and I said, now, that's the, that's the stuff we gotta do. Now, let's talk about what it is that you do so great that we can preserve it and accelerate it. That's what we wanna focus on. Don't focus on all that other bullshit, because that's just bullshit, right? Yeah, well, it is, it is to a degree. Email, yeah, certainly. Yeah. But PSA systems and sales systems and even yeah. different deployments of Salesforce. I mean, I was in a, I led an integration this last year, um, 2019, where it looked on the surface like both of these agencies did the exact same thing. Yeah. Literally, if you read their, if you read their stuff, but one agency had about 600 clients doing about a thousand projects a year. The other one had two clients doing about 600 projects a year. Right. So the second agency, the smaller one that got purchased had cross-functional teams, the project um, management leaders had P&L right. responsibility for every project. They could make decisions on their own because it was their butt if they made a bad one. PMs on the other side were all at the risk of the resource managers and who moved who around. You can't put those two systems together because there's all these baked in uh, assumptions that are built into the software that are going to undercut the team's ability to deliver to their clients. Right. C-Suite Radio. So let me ask you a question. How do people find you? Word of mouth. Uh, yeah. We've never done advertising. We don't answer RFPs. Uh, we started out, uh, again, I got a call four days after I left uh, my last job in, the, in an agency world for a project, which was an M&A project. And uh, we've just keep getting calls. Indeed, you get a lot of repeat. Yes, the interesting thing about the repeat is it's rarely, uh, not, we've never done the same thing twice. I might've done the same type of project in a different division or uh, go to Europe and do it. Uh, but almost every time it's, one of my principles is I wanna transfer knowledge. Like I get yeah. bored very easily, so you don't ever want me operating anything, uh, but I love putting it together. Yeah. So what's the most unique thing you've ever come across during a merger? Oh, um, I'm running through a list of what can I talk about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, I mean, I found certain things like, hmm, what, what do you mean? What, we, we, I found one where they didn't find it in the due diligence, but we found it. And, and, and when I, we were going through the due diligence of an apartment that somebody was paying for somebody they shouldn't have been paying for. Yes. Uh, yeah. we, we've seen uh, personal automobiles and things, yeah. especially on the smaller Campers. side. We've seen, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've seen people. But that's okay. I mean, some of that stuff, they disclose that. They'll, they'll disclose that. I mean, if they it's use disclosed. It. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. it's not disclosed. I think the worst one that, uh, that w was there, there literally were two sets of books. I've seen, I've seen that I've gone into businesses and, and to buy them. And they said, well, not every, I said, you're not making any money. He said, Oh yes, we are. I said, well, I can tell that because you got a brand new Mercedes out there. You've got this. I saw your kids. They seem to be dressed well. You know, I said, uh, when I've been out with you in the, in the city, you seem to be eating well and drinking well. And you know, people know you and you're a member of the country club, but this thing says you're in the hole. He goes, well, that's just the books we report. And, and, and so I, I put, well, you know what? I only buy businesses on the books you report. 
I don't buy them on the businesses you don't. And so either, you know, either you show me what that really is, or I'm paying you based on this and I don't care about that other stuff, you know, cause he was asking an astronomical amount, you know, you bet. Well, and again, that's how we use things like EBITDA, right. To kind of get around all the tax stuff and all that stuff right. in terms of gauging value. But this was literally, this wasn't the tax. This, there was a separate set of books. Yeah. They were siphoning oh. money out. <laughs> well, I know there's been some public people who have gone, I mean, gone to jail for, you know, cause they had a third cash register or a fourth cash register. And that was the cash register they didn't report sales tax i'm not going to say who that was but that was a very prominent person went to prison out of connecticut and so that happens hey this is enron level stuff like you know moving money around and loaning it to themselves and yeah well you can't that gets down you know money has a has a way i'm watching a a multi-billion dollar transaction and i'm watching people act and you know money has a way of showing true character you know and um, it's just one of those things you got you got to watch out for. Hey, I want to ask you a question. Um, you got a new podcast coming out called Strategy and Transition. What can listeners expect? Well, uh, hopefully, what I expect, right? So one of the things is with all of this massive amount of change, I know that there are you know I get to be inside a lot of companies for sure, so I see a lot of different aspects of it but I don't think I still see it as much as I want to learn. And so this is going to be me interviewing executives that have led transitions, be they business model pivots, uh, M&A work, uh, just organizational development, new product launches about what their strategy was, what worked, what didn't, what they learned uh, and see how much I can learn. So hopefully uh, the audience will follow along and learn more just as I do. Well, I think there's a lot to be learned from people who've gone through it and have done it good, bad, and ugly. I think that's important. Hey, Bill, I also know you personally. I know that when you're not working on your business, I know you like to ride a motorcycle. What kind of motorcycle you got and what's your most memorable trip? Uh, I've got a Kawasaki sports tour, a a Concorde. And my most memorable trip would probably be 2007. I left an agency and had some, you know, free time. And I did uh, 35 days up into Canada and the Rockies and all the way to Mississippi and back. Oh, that's a long haul, brother. Uh, Yep. I did, uh, I think it was about 7,500 miles over about 35 days. And I took a little break in the middle. I got a headhunter call for another agency. And so I, I, I parked the bike in a, I paid a dollar the first month's rent on a storage unit in uh, Phoenix, <laughs> yeah. parked the bike in it, flew in for the interview. Uh, I flew right back out and finished the ride. Got the job. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. That's bad. Have you ever done the Pacific coast highway? All the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm close enough over here in the Bay area where, uh, I've done, I've done all of it. So yeah. uh, in different wow. segments all the way up, uh, we, we actually did a, run one day from I think about Fort Bragg uh, all the way to Portland. And we stayed on the coast all the way till it runs into highway one. You can do that in one day. You can do that one day. Uh, there were parts of my body that complained a lot about that, but yeah, yes, I would imagine one day. 
I don't care how soft the seat is. It still takes muscles to do that. Hey, Bill, thanks so much for being a part of it. I can't wait to listen to Strategy and Transition. It's going to be right here on C-Suite Radio. Of course, we're talking with Bill Sanders. He's the Principal Senior Consultant at Roebling Strauss. Thanks for being with us on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff. My pleasure. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what did I learn? I'm going to tell you what I learned. There's no such thing as going from point A to point B in a straight line. There's no way. When you have all these assumptions, when you go to buy a company, it's going to work according to a plan. Hey, as he said, as Michael Tyson once said, you, your entire strategy for the fight goes away when you're punched in the mouth. <laughs> and that's what happens. So when you close um, or ring the bell or, you know, uh, cha-ching, you've signed the last payment and selling or buying the business and you think it's going to go this way on either side, on either side. It's never that way. And so what you have to do is have clear conditions of satisfaction, clear goals, values, and, you know, a great culture to be able to say, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to have problems, but this is how we're going to resolve it, and where we're going to go. That's the things I learned right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.